Well, that's a really good way of breaking the expensive tech. Gonna kind of need this to survive for the next seven years. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of Rabbit Holes Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Elise. And I'm your other host, Andy. And welcome back to the show. It already sounds so much better. I was listening to our last two weeks episodes the other day, and like, we can't record in that space anymore. No. (laughs) So whirly with the fan. (laughs) Mm. Yes. And also, we're hand talkers, so we have to stop slapping the table where we sit the mic, because it picks up and it sounds like we're bumping the mic, apparently. Yes, so you said, I saw that email. Yes. That's our feedback from Algonquin Radio with, like, people who actually know what they're doing with sound production, so I figure... not us. Yeah, so so I figure we have to take them seriously and follow up. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) So, uh, what's new with you? You started a a new venture. I did. I started my new job. Not ready to quit yet? No. So far, so good. Yeah. You know, three days in, so... uh, we have a meeting tomorrow off-site at the, the director's house. Nice. So, yes, all afternoon. So to, you get to be, like, the creepy new person who, like, yes. plugs the toilet and makes everything really bad. I hope I don't plug the toilet. <laughs> new thing to worry about. Thanks, Elise. <laughs> We're making my social anxiety worse. <laughs> Although, funny thing about a toilet. So the toilet in the bathroom, one mm-hmm. of the stalls is really, like, the sensor's really finicky. Oh, okay. So if you sort of even, like, tilt when you're wiping, it goes off. Goes off. And then you get, like, butt splashed. Yes. Yeah. I, I know this pain. Uh, we have the same thing at my work. So now I have to, like, almost retrain my brain how to, like, <laughs> so I don't tilt at all when I'm, like, wiping or doing anything. Right. You could go this way. You just can't go the other way. Oh, man. This technology whole new thing to learn right yes gotta learn where the best places for lunch are where to park uh they charge for parking so it's assigned oh okay yeah so it's not even like you can steal like the good parking spot by getting there no five minutes before somebody who thought it was quote-unquote their spot no no it's actually assigned oh well that's not bad yeah so uh what else that like so I have no idea how to print. Like I said, I was trying to print. Like, right. You need your fob that gets you into the building to use the printer. That is so weird. Like, what are they worried? People are going to, like, break in and, like, randomly print stuff? I guess it's, like, cost coding because they have mm. so many different projects. Right. Um, so it's, like, tied to your fob so they know you're printing $7.20 right. worth of printing. Apparently it actually yes. tells you how much your printing costs. I guess this is the, because I my first professional job was at a law firm when I was in co-op. And every time we went to print something or like photocopy something, you'd have to like put in your four digit code for the case. So I guess it's like the next step from that. Yeah. But so I went to use my fob and then that's like, no ID uh, aside. Oh. So it's like, what's your ID number? I'm like, <laughs> Andy, my name is Andy. <laughs> I don't know. So that's another thing I have to add to my list of questions to ask and things to do. Yeah. Well, that's all part of the fun. Yeah. You get a couple weeks grace and all of your coworkers like put on their best behavior for like the first year. So one of the two people I sort of report to, I guess, um, 
it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Snuck up on you? Well, I was like turning around and I was at my back onto like the open part of my cubicle uh-huh. and I was doing some writing and he comes around really quietly and goes, hey. Okay. And I was like, I jumped, dropped my phone that I was holding and swore really loudly. <laughs> like, <laughs> so there's a, a couple of um, uh, people on our floor that have been there for like a long time. Right. They're also meeting people like CMPs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the people was just like giggling nonstop. <laughs> He's like, do you want to come into your bio? And I'm like, <sighs> can we get the heart and stuff? You need to get like a little mirror. Like a dollar store mirror, like a locker mirror, something like that. To put so up. I can look like, like the person we used to look with, work with. Yeah, but I mean, this would be like a legit reason. Put it like in the corner so you can see like yeah. where they're coming around. Yeah, so I guess, like this is for you because you yeah. scared the living daylights out of me. <laughs> it's look, it's either a mirror or everyone starts wearing bells. Your choice. Yeah. <laughs> so he's gonna knock. What's new with you? Uh, not much, except as I was listening to last week's episode on my drive home, uh, you said when you become a doctor in seven years, and I was like, oh, we never explained that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, um, nobody think I can be a medical doctor, because as our friend Christine says, if you can't save a life, no one cares if you're a doctor. So, like, we have to be very clear with those lines. It's just I had applied and have been accepted to a PhD program. That's where we're... That's where we're going to be a soft doctor, not, like, a doctor doctor. Yeah, like, um, a a dilettante doctor, if you will. (laughs) Someone who just reads a lot. So, I have a seven-year plan to get through a doctoral program for my job and then I can charge an arm and a leg to do consulting work in the field I'm currently in so this whole plan for retirement and being a grown-up thing is it's rough nobody told me it would be like this when I was a child but then you can do like consulting like you said yes and work from bustling village that I live in and yeah yes so or you know the south of France part-time hey. mm, this is true <laughs> like the last guy in consulting, who drove me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Every job has its assholes. Absolutely. On that note, how about we be the assholes of our own little job, our little side hustle, if you will, and tell our stories. Yes. Okay. So you went first last week, so I get to go first this week. And uh, my story was inspired by a CBC News article from a few days ago that I saw. And uh, it had the title, Apricot Power Products Recalled Due to Risk of Cyanide Poisoning. Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, I read that headline and thought, well, duh, apricot pits and cherry pits are known to have the same chemicals as cyanide. So why anyone would voluntarily eat this product, I do not know. Of course it got recalled, which got me thinking about other products that people have been convinced to consume for quote-unquote health purposes. And that brings me to my topic of snake oil. Yay! So I'm talking snake oil today. Goop, uh, goop, goop, goop. Yeah. I, I have a note in here, like, I'm going to leave all things goop to you. So oh, I stayed wow. off of goop. <laughs> I know it's like your favorite hate browse, so we'll, we'll leave that for you. I would have been okay with it. I was like, she's going to... Oh, I can. If you want me to start wading into goop, I can. I've mostly stayed off of it for... I prefer to get to watch the new fee and you get all riled up about something she's done. And I've done a history one. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, we should switch. No. <laughs> uh, so about this apricot power products, uh, regardless of the risk in 2019, people were buying and selling apricot powder as a detoxifying agent. Yeah. Which is what your liver does all by itself. 
Yes. Uh, in small doses, the chemical compound amygdalin uh, can be effective as a detoxifier, according to the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. However, when taken in too large of a dose, it has the potential of releasing cyanide in your system, which is also great detoxifier, but the long-term results are usually unfavorable because your body tries to expel it violently and you tend to die. <laughs> yes. So I'm assuming for both kind of uh, chemicals that the, it does work as a detoxifier because it's it's purging them out of your body. Uh, the problem with this particular product, though, according to the CFIA, was that the recommended dosage on the packaging was far too high. And so they ordered the recall. It looked like it was the type of product you get in like a health food store. So it would never have been on my radar otherwise. Yeah. So uh, just public service announcement, people don't eat stone fruit pits. Like it's, it's just one of those things that like everyone knows or should know. So before starting the story, though, I had never thought about the background of the term snake oil. Like to me, this was like a snake yeah. oil. And I would have called that that if you had told me about it. But like, I had never taken the time to wonder where that term comes from. from. And I had always pictured kind of a snake oil salesman as a huckster at old timey fairs, but the history wasn't really something. I just figured it snake oil sounds weird. So that's why we called it that. I wasn't sure. So I went looking for the history of the term snake oil. Of course you did. Of course I did. Cause that's <laughs> what I do for all things that I'm trying to understand. So according to an article on NPR's website, we have entrepreneur Clark Stanley to thank for the term. Uh, in the late 1800s, huge numbers of Asiatic workers were migrating into North America and found work building the railroads, and so they brought with them their remedies and medicines from the old country. And it turns out that snake oil is actually a legit product in yeah. Western Eastern medicine, I should yeah. say. The Chinese water snake is high in omega-3 acids, which reduces inflammation and is an effective treatment for arthritis and bursitis. Urban legend has it that the Chinese rail workers would rub snake oil on uh, stiff and sore joints at the end of long days working on the railroads in order to ease them. And at some point, they started sharing their remedies with the Americans who were working with them. The problem, as I'm sure you can see, is that North America has a decided shortage of Chinese water snakes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So our boy, Clark Stanley, wasn't going to let that stop him, though, and figured a snake is a snake. So oh, no. just substitute one for another. And he settled on the common rattler. Rattler. <laughs> yeah. In a recent academic article, Stanley's rise to fame has been traced back to one particular incident at the World's Exposition, Exposition in Chicago in 1893, when he, quote, reached into a sack, plucked out a snake, slid it open and plunged it into boiling water. When the fat rose to the top, he skimmed it off and used it on the spot to create Stanley's snake oil, a liniment that was immediately snapped up by the throng that had gathered to watch the spectacle. Yeah, the look on your face well, it was the same look that I had as I read that. Sweet. Yeah. Lord. A fool and his money will soon be parted. Uh -huh. <laughs> the problem, however, is that the American rattler rattlesnake has about three times less of the omega-3 acid as the Chinese water snake, making his liniment complete bunk. Like there just wasn't enough of the active properties in it to do what he thought it was going to do. Uh, when the federales started investigating him in the mid 1910s, so he sold the stuff for almost 20 years, uh, they seized one of his product shipments uh, and found that Stanley's snake oil was nothing more than mineral oil, a fatty oil believed to be beef fat, red pepper, and turpentine. 
That wasn't even sneak. <laughs> My next Sorry. point. That's right. Not a drop of snake oil. <laughs> and that was a problem given the passage of the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906, which was intended to stop the sale of these patent medicines like Stanley's snake oil. So the whole like bite out of the back of a magazine product, like take this cocaine to cure your cough, that kind of stuff. Like they knew it was adulterated crap that people were putting in their bodies. So they passed this law specifically to stop people from buying patent medicines like that. And yet here we are. And yet here we are. So in the end, vaginas and jade eggs. Yes. Throwing stuff up our hoo-hahs that shouldn't be there. Uh, In the end, Stanley was fined $20 and that's about $430 in today's value. Uh, And that fine was for violating the Food and Drug Act and for, quote, misbranding his product by falsely and fraudulently representing it as a remedy for all pains. And as NPR notes, he did not dispute the charges. No. So that's where we've developed. That's where, like, the whole snake oil as, like, bunk picked up its steam and its kind of cachet behind it. Because not only did it not work, it wasn't even snake. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So just double down on this. Yeah, on the, the fakeness of it all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where it started. But what are some examples of snake oil that you can get your hands on today in the 20s, almost 20s? Also, by the way, side note, I cannot wait for the 20s because I'm going to start saying like, of course, it's the 20s, just like we used to do with the 90s. Like every time someone said something that was like kind of passe and like old fashioned, be like, duh, it's the 90s. I'm going to bring it back, but for the 20s. I can't wait. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) So, false products intended to make you happy, healthy, and beautiful. What has recently been on the market? And, as I said, I'll leave the totality of goop for Andy for another time. I might (coughs) wait in. Jade eggs. (laughs) So, you remember those commercials in the early 2000s for that bracelet that was supposed to help with solving all your pain? And it was, like, going to improve your golf game and basically... Yes, here are all these sports mm-hmm. legends who use the T-something bracelet. The Q-ray bl- Q-ray bracelet. bracelet, there yes. you go. A popular item on the as-seen or on TV crowd, yes. Based again on Eastern medicine, the device was supposed to work by bringing your chi into line and provide your body with balance that was missing. Uh, even as a kid, that seemed like serious hokum to me. It was just like, how is one bracelet going to fix all that? Yeah. And I suffered with chronic back pain since I was 13 and the ladies came in, my bosoms. So like, as soon as somebody said, we could fix all your pain by wearing this bracelet. So I was like, crap, utter crap. Nothing fixes this. <laughs> Other than lifting them and putting them on a table. Yeah, that does. That does help. <laughs> I've done that. Uh, so even though it sounded bad to me, but it sounded super bad to Dr. Robert Brayton of the Mayo Clinic. And so he uh, did his job and kind of dug in on this. In 2009, he ran a randomized double-blind experiment with 610 patients. Half wore the Q-ray bracelet and the other half wore a placebo. Pain measurement check-ins occurred at days 1, 3, 7, 14, 21, and 28. And both the legit and placebo groups reported a reduction in pain. The statistical difference between them was insignificant. So at the end of the day, all the Q-ray bracelet was good for is what people thought it could do for them. However, there's still a lot of people out there who will give like anecdotes about how it cured them. Of course, it is the placebo effect at work. Yeah. It's It's all in your head. 
So the Federal Trade Commission and states agreed that this wasn't actually a medical device, that it was people's minds doing the work for them. And in 2011, it ordered the manufacturers to refund almost $12 million to people who had bought the bracelets between 2000 and 2003. And they actually cited Dr. Bratton's study uh, and the placebo findings as the justification for the need to refund uh, their customers. You can still buy the Q-rays if you have too much money on your hands and need to waste it somewhere. And now the producer has taken to calling it a, quote, wellness bracelet. And does it make the same levels of claims that they originally did about health? Of course. Speaking of things that happened in the 2000s, early 2000s, remember when smartphones were first a big thing and how everyone kept saying there's an app for that? That was like the the funny little catchphrase. Well, two companies jumped on the agnotology, <laughs> callback, that that phrase created, and they released two apps called the Acne app and the Acne Poner. I'd never heard of these until I started researching the story. And it's a terrible name. It really is. The claims that these companies made was that the light from your smartphone could be used to cure acne. So users just had to hold their phone to the acne-infested areas of their body for a few minutes each day, and voila, pimples gone. The system worked by turning the screen of your phone blue and then red every few seconds, and the blue light was supposed to fight bacteria while the red light supported skin healing. Now, Acne App was developed by a dermatologist out of Houston, which added a level of legitimacy to the program's claims. And furthermore, its promotional materials cited a study published in the British Journal of Dermatology, which said blue and red light treatments eliminated P. acne bacteria, which is a major cause of acne, and reduces skin blemishes by 76%. Sound a little bit too good to be true? Yes, but the, the type of light and the... Anyways, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> you're getting there right where I'm heading. It sounds too good to be true because it was. Uh, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission found in 2011 that the claims being made by these companies were unsubstantiated and charged the developers on the grounds that they were making baseless health claims. The FTC even questioned the validity of the study published in that British journal in the charges that they brought, and they acknowledged that some dermatologists do use a form of light therapy to treat acne, but that there is absolutely no way the level of light given off by your smartphone can match the levels that they use. Yeah, because they, like, put stuff over your eyes, and it's, like... Yeah, it's, like, just short of, like, laser-style lighting. Yes. Yeah. I know some people who've used it to treat, like, very, really bad psoriasis and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. A fun fact, these cases were the first time that the FTC brought charges against app developers for health claims. Probably a good time to break the seal on that one. Yep. Yeah. Much like our good buddy Clark Stanley, the companies behind the apps decided not to fight the charges and agreed to alter the literature on their websites to remove any statements that, that couldn't be backed up by science. And they agreed which to all statements, which is basically all statements. Uh, and they also agreed to forfeit any money that they had made. And they made a chunk of change. It's not enough to retire. It's not a huge amount, but like it's nothing I would decline to cash myself. Yeah. So the Apple company, which was Acne App, reported approximately 11,600 downloads and charged $2 for their app, whereas the Android ver- version, Acne Poner, had approximately 3,300 downloads for a dollar each. So between them, almost 15,000 people thought that their phones could cure their acne, and between them, they earned about $26,000. That's a lot of people and a fair chunk of change. Well, that's a lot of teens that are desperate to <laughs> deal with their acne issues. Absolutely. 
Uh, the FTC wasn't dicking around here. The commission spokesperson was quoted as saying, quote, the commission wants anyone out there who is making health claims with apps to know that the same rules apply to the marketplace as any other. You can't make a claim unless you have a reasonable basis to make that claim. And I'm assuming that Dick Wolf is going to come out of retirement to write a new law and order about this branch of law enforcement. Dun, dun. <laughs> <coughs> law and order. <laughs> app unit yeah exactly <laughs> i mean sci-fi just canceled happy with chris maloney so he's not doing anything these days let's bring back detective stabler is all i'm saying <laughs> that looked odd yes i never saw any of it but it's on my to-do list at some point but yeah it looked weird Okay, so in those last two cases, the only people who got hurt were a bunch of aging boomers trying to grapple with the fact that everything was going to hurt forever for them from now on. So they were trying to fix that. And some pimply kids, as you said. Uh, both groups had more money than sense, so I don't feel that bad. But there are a couple instances where modern snake oil kind of branches into the truly despicable and starts damaging real lives of the vulnerable people in society. So there's a couple of instances that I want to talk about in terms of that. The first is a product called Speak, which is reported or was reported to be a blend of nutrients that could help speech development in children in as little as one week from the start of treatment. So basically really like high powered Flintstones vitamins that can make your child speak in a matter of days if they hadn't been speaking before. In their charges against Nourish Life, the manufacturer of Speak, the FTC stated that the company advertised that their products were clinically proven to support, quote, normal and healthy speech development for kids, including kids with verbal apraxia and those on the autism spectrum. So just imagine your child has regressed and is no longer speaking or has never spoken, and you are able to find a pill, a magic pill that can fix it in a week. Of course you're going to do it. Yes. <sighs> there was no such clinical or scientific evidence to support this claim at all. It was completely fabricated out of whole cloth. The powerful part of Speak's marketing campaign were testimonials from parents claiming that children who had never spoken because the autism had stopped speaking were now able to communicate verbally in a number of days once they had started their regime. And some of the testimonials, like, I have no heart. It, like, Grinch style, like, started yeah. to, like, yeah. Uh, Nourish Life didn't mention, however, that they gave free products to some of those parents to get those testimonials. The FTC had a serious problem with that because you have to state, I have received product in exchange for this testimonial. Additionally, the FTC said that Nourish Life bought hundreds of Google keywords related to childhood speech disorder treatments. So if parents searched online for phrases like help my child talk, autism treatment or speech delay treatment, the ad for Speak would be the first to appear on the Google search result. Uh, but this is completely legal, by the way. So if you're searching for a cure for, say, athlete's foot, and you type that into Google, there's a very real possibility that the top Google results are bought and paid for by athlete foot powder companies, and they aren't the result of a natural search algorithm. So PSA to our listeners, be aware when you're Googling stuff. Go down a few. Yeah. Or like... Just do your due diligence on research before you yep. really commit to anything. But does anybody trust, like, especially when it comes up, like, spot ad to the top, like, your top? Yes. Sometimes it's identified yeah. as an ad, but you can also SEO the shit out of your websites now, and you can buy those kind of ability to hide that. To me, this is a really bad one. As I said, it trades on the fear and desperation of parents who just want to see a, quote, normal, unquote, development in their childs, and it's really just trading on fear and despair. 
Since this case in 2013, Nourish Life backed off its claims that it made about Speak, but looking at their website, which I won't be linking to because they're jerks, it's clear that they are in it to make a buck. There's lots of products for sale, videos to watch, and indoctrination materials to be had about living a natural, healthy lifestyle. I'm not saying what they're doing today is all that bad, but the whole speak thing kind of paints them with a certain brush in my mind, and I don't want any piece of that. Yeah. I'm not going to believe anything else they put on their websites, because it's... I can't trust any of it. No. But let's talk about the Mac Daddy of all modern snake oils on the market, and this is the one that kind of also launched this. It was on my list of things to do. Uh, the snake oil is probably the worst because there is no product to buy since you can make it at home yourself. Any guesses? Is this the cabbage? It is. It's oh. jelly juice. <laughs> so I first learned about this from an article that you sent me yep. by a BuzzFeed News writer, uh, Nidhi Subaraman. Uh, and there's a couple articles that uh, Nitty wrote. It's really worth going over to BuzzFeed and like just searching for the term jelly juice and read everything that she wrote because it's really like... What's the word? Engaging. Yeah, like in cat in in what's that word? Captivating. Captivating. That was a really hard walk for me to get to that word. Uh, so cat captivating. <laughs> so Jilly Juice has basically attained cult-like status online and has a whole army of staunch defenders and another army worth of staunch opponents. I think we both yeah we both fall into the opponents category. The creator slash founder of this cult is a woman named Jillian Epperly, and she is from Ohio. Her theory is that illnesses are caused by something called candida, which is found in our guts, and this candida attracts parasites. The only way to be healthy is to eat a very restricted diet and to consume massive quantities of her jelly juice. Now, I am going to give you the recipe for jelly juice. I do not endorse this. I do not recommend it. If you decide to start this quote unquote protocol, which is her term for it, know that I would mock you to your face given the opportunity. And you gonna hurt. Oh, it's, yeah, it's not. None of this is what I'm about to tell you is gonna be fun. Yeah. Uh, so. I've heard of poop a lot. Yeah. Rabbit Holds Podcast does not endorse this in any oh, way. Oh, hell no. And we strongly suggest you do not do this. Yes. Yes. So the protocol slash recipe is add a tablespoon of pink Himalayan salt to two cups of water and two cups of cabbage or kale. Puree in a blender, pour into a glass jar, cover and leave at room temperature to ferment for three days. Drink a few cups nightly up to a gallon a day. Yeah, Andy's gagging out. I do not blame her. No part of this. Sounds appealing in any way. Anyway, I don't. <laughs> From, like yeah it's like fermented the idea of fermented drinks well i mean wine and beer is fermented but it's but like fun fermented yes <laughs> but i don't like wine or beer so they're true <laughs> so you'll know it's quote-unquote working if you experience nausea headaches dizziness and explosive diarrhea which she has rebranded as waterfalls because that's exactly what i want when something is working, <laughs> yes. is for waterfalls to come out of my anus. Yes, exactly. Allegedly, uh, uh, you can check your toilet bowl after a waterfall and spot the parasites that have been making you sick. I think what you're actually finding is like corn that had happened to be caught up on like one of the curls in your intestine for a few years. And like now it's finally been released. So, oof. 
Is this stuff going to purge your system? Hell yeah, it is. It's basically sauerkraut jello by the time you consume it. So your body doesn't want it in you and will do anything it can to get it out. So yeah, you are going to waterfall the crap out of you. No pun intended. Like, it's gone. Can it cure cancer, regrow limbs, and make you live forever? All things Epperly has claimed it can do? Hell no, it cannot. <laughs> regrow limbs? Yes! <laughs> Oh my god. Regrow limbs cure cancer. Like, she is swinging for the fences on her claims. She is magic crazy. Mm, yeah. So here's the problems. Uh, Jillian Epperly is not a doctor. She has no understanding of internal medicine, but she has a huge online following. And that's where this Jilly Juice has gotten its legs. The other problem, people who are facing death and for whom traditional treatments aren't working are terrified and will try anything. And Epperly trades on this by assuring her followers that her protocols, when followed exactly to the T, are effective. And then when people die, she says they didn't follow them to a T. Literally my next line. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I do this to you all the time. So probably no surprise, but a few people have died as a result of following her protocols. And when they do, she claims it's because they didn't follow her, which is hella convenient. Those cute sounding waterfalls are actually incredibly dangerous bouts of explosive diarrhea, which can cause dehydration and malabsorption, which can lead to a whole host of other problems like diminished consciousness, lack of urine output, cool, moist extremities, a rapid but feeble pulse. The radial pulse may be undetectable, which means your blood can't reach your fingers and your toes, uh, low or undetectable blood pressure, and uh, peripheral cyanosis which is, again, the blood withdrawing from the outer layers of your skin to get back into the center to circle and keep your organs alive. So not only are you very likely sick to start off with, but you've now made yourself even sicker, sicker. by putting this stuff in your body. I'll take everything out of your body. Yeah. Yeah. At rapid paces. Far too rapid. <laughs> so, of course, a train wreck like this, Dr. Phil just couldn't resist. And there was a two-part show where he brought Epperly and some of her supporters on, as well as some of her online opponents on to face off against one another. And I highly recommend you seek out these episodes because they are bonkers and amazing. <laughs> like, they're good for some laughs. Uh, Epperly is as spacey as you'd expect, but also extremely engaging and charismatic. And it's easy to see why she has such a following. Like, she literally tries to get Dr. Phil to drink this shit on the, the air. Like, he, like mm -mm. he wouldn't do it. Credit to him. But, like, she couldn't, like, let it go. She, like, kept trying to, like, force it on him. And he's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> like, hard pass. <laughs> uh, the show, if I'm remembering right, because it was a few months ago, if not a year ago, was supposed to be about getting people to cool it on the Facebook wars. Because that's where, like, this whole movement began and is living and is growing and like people are attacking her they're attacking her supporters it's going the other way as well like it's it is ugly like grown people should not be behaving like this but like it's happening also grown people should know better than to drink fucking fermented cabbage juice and i'm sorry algonquin <laughs> but it had to be said yeah <laughs> On the show, Epperly also laid out how she managed to monetize Jilly Juice, given she wasn't selling a product and was in fact giving away her protocol, and she makes her money by charging for consultations. So if you would like to speak to Jillian, you can set up an appointment and pay her for her time. Oh, hell no. She claims her consultation fee is a result of her massive popularity. There's just so many people to talk to now that she had to put some kind of barrier in place, and charging happened to be what she settled on. What does she charge? 
I did not look it up. I didn't want to give her the thrill of an extra count mm-hmm. on her web sites. Yeah. I'm going to assume it's not a little amount because she's not monetizing this elsewhere. <laughs> so I think the worst part about the show, though, was that some of her supporters talked about how they had put their kids on her protocol. That is abuse. It is. It really it's feeding poison to your children and then rejoicing in the fact that they are expelling quote unquote parasites like they don't have corn old enough in their systems to need to expel like maybe a couple of like bubble gum that they chewed up but like still like to give this to a child is in no way forgivable like you should have them taken away from you at that point yes yeah in the end of this dr phil episode nothing was resolved but amazing television was watched by all it was a gong show from beginning to end So I think Dr. Gad Saad, who was writing for Psychology Today Canada, put it best uh, in terms of this whole snake oil paradox when he wrote the following, quote, The scientific method is the mortal enemy of quackery. It is a democratic process whereby all claims can be vigorously tested and in so doing either establish their veracity or refute them as bunk. Within the consumer domain, there are endless product claims that are wholly unsubstantiated by any scientific testing, and yet consumers are willing to spend billions of dollars on empty promises. So if you can't trace back the testing phase of this medical product, it's probably not going to do what you're saying. Yeah, it should. The power of human mind is amazing. Snake oil can be incredibly effective if you believe it can be. But from gutting and throwing a snake into a boiling pot in the 1800s to pureeing kale and letting it rot before consumption, I think it's safe to say we haven't come as far as we would like to think we have. No. And that is the horrifying tale of snake oil sales. Well, it actually ties in really well to my story. Oh, perfect. (laughs) I love when that happens. So tell me your story. So, uh, again, my story comes from live science. (laughs) Of course. Uh, which is an inspiration for so many of my uh, <laughs> rabbit holes, but it doesn't have anything to do with bugs, so you're okay. Yes! The case books that belong to a rather shady Elizabethan astro- astrologist... Astro- astro- astrologist? I'm going to leave all of that in on the edit. <laughs> and healer, Simon Foreman, who lived in England from 1552 to 1611... He and his protege, Richard Napier, were uh, astrologers, a job that back then uh, include providing health care. Yes. I think Robert Napier, that name sounds familiar to me. Yeah. So I am using the term health care yeah. loosely here. <laughs> and what Richard and Simon left was one of the largest sets of medical res- records in history. Oh, cool. So in 2008, a team of scholars embarked on a decade of studies on this wealth of knowledge. And along the way, they digitized many of the books, creating a fascinating database and an interesting look at the roots of medicine awesome again roots medicine loose (laughs) those terms so who was simon foreman you might ask i i put in okay maybe not a least you might know who that is (laughs) that one no (laughs) um as a historian you might already know this guy but for the rest of us uh rest of our listeners simon is considered to be one of the best documented elizabethans Hmm. he had no access to power title or money he wasn't rich he didn't change the course of history. So why do we know so much about him? Because he was a narcissist that wrote about himself and his life in mundane <laughs> detail. Sounds like, uh, what's his name? Peppis. Samuel Peppis. <laughs> and all aspects, like all aspects of oh, his boy. life was written down. 
He left a bulk of his notebooks to his protege, Richard, and then after Richard's death, they ended up as part of Elias's Ashmole's collection. Let me see the spelling on that. Ashmole? Yeah. A-S-H-M-O-L-E. This is ringing some bells for you, I can see. Yeah, it might have been one of the founding collections to the British Library. It's at the Bodolin Library. Bodolin, that's it. And Ashmole 782 might also ring some bells. Let me talk about that. Cat. <laughs> Upon his death, Elias Ashmole's death, he donated to the University of Oxford all of his collection, which was books, manuscripts, um, a collection of just a ton of stuff. Written work, yeah. Not even just written work. He had other things. Oh. So if, like you, the listeners, are maybe thinking that sounds familiar, then you might have read A Discovery of Witches or seen the Mm. TV show. So for those of you who are not, have no idea what I'm talking about, (laughs) uh, this trilogy um, sort of revolves around this mystery of this missing uh, manuscript referred to as Ashmal 782, which is actually, and and she uses that in the trilogy as that missing book, the, the, the book of life. Okay. Right? That becomes the book of life for her. But it's actually a real life missing manuscript. Yeah. So the real Ashmole 782 was originally donated to the Bodleian Library at Oxford University in 1858 as part of the previously mentioned collection. The manuscript was designated Object 782. Mm-hmm. So 782 out of this collection. That tells you how big this collection yeah. was. <laughs> uh, and was described just as it states in the book. And anthropological or a thesis containing a short description of man in two parts, first anatomical and the second psychological. Hmm. Most people agree that the real book was lost due to shelving or catalog error. Yeah. When you've got so many items kicking around. Yeah. Yeah. Probably some intern like walked it as item 782, put it down on the ground and like went to grab 780 and that was the last time anyone saw 82. (laughs) Yeah. So it's still lost to this day. And she created a whole, spun a whole story about it. I mean, that author is like a historian. Right. So she took that sort of like mystery and just... It's like my whole like teach us guy, John. I I would love to write a book about that one like little tiny glimpse of history. Yeah. You should someday. (laughs) So, because she states that, like, writing that book was sort of, like, as a historian, you look at these things, but as a historian, you have to stick. Like, as a historical fiction writer, you can oh, sort of... gloves are off. Yeah, you could take that and say, like, this is what I think could have happened. Like, this is just a whole fiction. But, like, you yeah. look at Alison Weir, who writes really great historical fiction about real people that she does actual research on. But yes. it's like, this is my actual research, and here I'm going to fill in some what I think probably might have happened. Right. And make it juicier. I wasn't as big fan of her last book, but she's better than the one you don't like that I don't mind. Philippa um, Gregory? Yeah. Who's never written a likable main character in her entire career. Oh. That's my problem. I read her and her characters are just like, I would love to do nothing more than slap you right now. I enjoyed Lady of the Rivers. And the White yeah. Queen and Lady of the Rivers and the Red Queen. But again, the Red Queen, which was Henry Tudor's mom, mm-hmm. was a hateable character. Because um, she wrote that series and I actually haven't finished all of them but she concludes that it wasn't actually Richard who killed the the boys right she figures of someone else and she assumes that sort of it was probably something to do with Henry Tudor's mother right Eh. 
Well, I'm never going to know myself because yeah. I refuse to read any more of her works. Yeah. <laughs> that's an interesting theory. And she goes in behind, like, why she thinks that's, uh, like, a plausible. A, a plausible theory because it's as plausible as anything else. Right. So. That's, yeah. Um, anyways, we digress. So back to my favorite <laughs> shit. Uh, Simon uh, was shady AF. <laughs> um, at that time, it was understood that celestial movements influenced human lives and bodies through hidden beams. Well, of course. I mean, I literally just today had a conversation with the dean of the school that I work at about astrological charts. <laughs> And who's was in what zodiac and what that meant. <laughs> so to quote a University of uh, Cambridge social historian, Lauren Castle, astrologers like Foreman understood how these forces worked. <laughs> well, yeah, if you're making it up, you can understand it just fine. <laughs> it's also notable that he had a pension for attempting to seduce his patients. <laughs> God. And they had to add, so like when they categorize these digital files, they actually had to add a code to categorize for stalking to the database because he would stalk his patients. Oh my God. Creepy. This is like real, like true crime podcast about to happen. So they did, these uh, Tiba scholars did a bunch of work to digitize these books and decipher this guy's handwriting. Because I mean, I can't oh. say much, but geez. Yeah. Kudos to them because like it was a lot of you learn after a while. Shorthand and like symbols for stuff that we don't even believe in anymore. Right. And I get that at some point that makes sense to them, but yeah. Wow. <laughs> so on the website, the books are searchable by a number of factors such as age, uh, practitioner, date, symptoms, and occupation, just to name a few. So they do a day in the life of Richard Napier. So 7, 18 a.m. He saw Sarah Cage, an 18 year old at Esther living as a maid to a shoemaker and she bleedeth much and has trouble in her head. <laughs> Napier cast an astrological chart for that moment and his judgment of the case is that that which should go downworth goeth out voyage out of her nose twice a week. I can't even begin to try Decipher to that? figure that out. Like she's supposed to induce a nosebleed twice a week? Yeah. She also, I think, was just chubby because she was also short-winded. Oh, well, as someone who gets winded going from the bed to bathroom in the middle of the night, I, c I can appreciate that. Her head was giddy and she was a well-favored mead maid, but is hoven, swollen, yeah. and short-winded. So, Well, well-favored means yeah. she had full stays. <laughs> she had no boobies. Yes. <laughs> So there's a couple others. So um, he saw that person at 719. At 816, he saw Allison Harrison, ab about a 51, a widow, who was not wealth this fortnight. Napier drew up a chart, but records that he gave nothing to her. At 850, he saw Mr. Andrews, a sen uh, who was sending to know whether his mother-in-law was be likely to live or not. <laughs> or no. Nor. N-O-E. Something's never changed. He was sent without her consent, so Napier drew up a chart but records no judgment nor indicates any treatment. Nevertheless, he writes inside the chart that she, C-H-E-E, -E, recovered. <laughs> yes, old school spellings are fun when you're a historian. <laughs> I should have made you read this. 
At 8.15, he saw someone else, a 40-year-old woman who was miserably handled in her limbs and de-poor and low-brought, and she was full of blisters and itches. He casted a chart and noted in the margins that water, white and thin, and he says in his judgment that back, heart, heed she hath not her course, and the whites and running of the reins. So she was 40 years old, so maybe she was going into menopause. Menopause, yeah. Yeah. He uh, ended up giving her a confection of roses, dithyrium, and notes that presumably on the grounds of her poverty, he gave it to her for free. Because he was going to stalk her later and watch her from the street as she changed. (laughs) Then he saw someone at 10.09, 11.15, 12 o'clock. Man. 12.45, one. One. So he saw two people at one. <laughs> Ooh, this guy was having a heart attack. So a 29-year-old, he saw, who was married, and he had a pain in his chest and stomach burning very hot. Yikers. That's exactly where you don't want to be uh, when you're 29, and it's the 1500s, is experiencing that. <laughs> yeah. He saw someone at uh, one o'clock again. So he saw Lucy, and she was 40, and she was sick. He gave no further details. But he did visit her two days later. Quote unquote visit. Yeah. And then he <laughs> gave more. Then at one fifteen, he saw someone. One thirty, two thirty, and 4 o'clock. Busy guy. So at 4 o'clock, he saw, he saw someone that uh, was pregnant and that was what her disease was. <laughs> well, it is a parasite for lack of a better term. So she was with child. So she saw him a bunch of times. She, she was young Goody Robinson. <laughs> So Simon wasn't quite as prolific. He saw someone at 9, 9, 15, 10, 10, 10, 30. Oh, sorry. I take that back. He was just as prolific. <laughs> at 11 o'clock, he had a disease consultation and he was consulted about before about the same illness and Foreman notes that a follow-up and cross-referenced an earlier entry, the earlier consultation records that King was from Eth Smithfield and included a judgment by Foreman that he hath a great Scorching that hath court nine five wicks. God, I apologize for everybody. Okay, so I'm gonna just switch. They had busy days. Yeah, <laughs> I wish my doctor could see people as efficiently, but just with slightly better results. <laughs> so some of the bad shit, crazy treatments uh-huh. that they did purging. So that was a majority of treatments. Oh, so they jelly juiced everyone. Yeah, basically <laughs> uh, recorded in the case books in court incorporated the consumption or application of medical substances of one sort or another. The rationale between the choices of these substances varied. <laughs> Some of the treatments were uh, purgative mm-hmm. in uh, the tradition of Gallic medicine that sought to achieve balance in the humors by expelling those that were in excess or corruption. Yeah, That was a popular thing back then. They thought yeah. your humors were out of whack. So you had to get rid of all those extra things. Uh, His treatment typically centered on purging and the most familiar being the prepare of X days and purge Y instructions. Napier used purgatories too, but his treatment notes record far more specific details about what precisely was given to his patients. Mm. And here we see a variety of long-standing Gaelic medicines. So levitins, for instance, softening the humors in the body to soothing effects. Recussions drove humors away from a particular part. 
And in Napier's detailed notes, it was possible to see a range of non-purgative medicines in use. Eyes bright for eye complaints or scurvy grass to cure scurvy. <laughs> well, it's... You've never read the Outlander books, right? No. So the whole thing is like a 1940s nurse goes back to the 1740s. And I've seen the first couple of episodes yeah. of the seasons. In the books, though, like uh, the author does a really good job of leaning on the whole... Um, botanical medicine thing because it's all Claire has to kind of treat and so it's interesting like she insists that people start eating watercress to cure them of the scurvy that they're all suffering from because it's Scotland and there's no sun and how else are you going to get the vitamin D right this is what it's reminding me of like it sounds bonkers and we certainly would not do it today but it's all they had (laughs) yeah but here are some really bonker ones. So animal remedies. Yeah. Alongside, there are animals and substance derived from animals. One entry advised someone who had been bitten by a mad dog was told to eat the liver of the dog they killed. What's the hair of the dog that bit you? <laughs> so bee burnt was, so they were told to take bees, crush them up with their hands. You like said there was bees. no animals or no bugs, Andy. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I lied. There's no bugs inside you. And then they would put those bees into water or something and then... Drink it? Yeah. You just said there was no bugs inside you. Okay. Sorry, I lied. (laughs) Their other one was the most striking treatment were those that consist of applying the bodies of pigeons to one's feet. I have heard of this. So they would kill a pigeon, slit the body, and stuff your feet in them. Yeah. Where did I hear about that? Maybe another historical fiction or something like that. But basically, it's like the worst version of slippers ever. Yes. <laughs> but I'm still not entirely sure what that was supposed to cure. Like, Probably and that was to used... draw out something. Yeah, it was used a lot. It was used a lot. Well, a lot of pigeons kicking around. <laughs> I wouldn't want to been a pigeon. Um, to confuse people when they were doing this, is Napier often abbreviated pigeon to pig? Mm. So a pig for neck and feet, three nights. For a nine-week-old child, <laughs> a pig to each sole of the foot. The employment of another piece of meat, in one case, indicates that pigeons may have been the most con- common animal used in this sort of treatment. But they were not the only one. So they would have pigeons on the feet and then beef meat around your neck. Just strips of, I'm assuming, raw meat. This is going to come back when I come around to the Victorian stories. Pretty sure. Might be Puritans. It's one of the two. So human ingredients were also commonly used. A special type of animal derivative employed in medicines in the casebook involved the supposed healing power of the parts of dead human bodies. So several cases of falling sickness included prescriptions for the skull of a man powdered, a spoonful of drink of it, so they would mix they would powdered skull, skull into beverages, yeah. or you just take it like a, I don't know. No, you had to have mixed it in with something. Some mixed with powdered horse hooves, so they would mix skull and horse hooves together. I don't like that at all. <laughs> a few patients suffering from swelling were told that the solution was the touch of a dead man's hand. Okay. Sometimes ac- accompanied by a plate or a plaster of lead Mm-mm. in which the afflicted part was also rubbed to be rubbed. So you got a swollen foot, you got to rub a dead man's hand on it and then some lead. Right. 
Well, if the eventual lead poisoning gets you, I mean, I guess the foot's the least of your problems. So uh, he records that the patient has been touched by the hands of a dead man and woman without success. No shit. (laughs) Also, do you find volunteers? Do you happen to stumble upon this dead man? Are we talking Burke and Hare? Like, what's the what's the dealio? I don't know. There's also... Is it just, like, the office assistant, like, playing dead in the back? Like... (laughs) They just have a severed hand. (laughs) Who knows with these people? And then there was, of course, the most common treatment. Bloodletting! Yes. Fun times. He was big on that in the back of the day. That's exactly what you need when you're already feeling terrible and are already very sick. It's to lose. Blood. Yeah. Just like you don't want to have explosive diarrhea. (laughs) Yeah. You don't want to cut yourself. Yes, yeah, so that was a very common. Uh, so they would either say like eight ounces from a specific vein. So you'd have to cut yourself in a specific spot to get enough blood out yeah. of the right vein. As if all... that makes a difference. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they also recommend dealing with hemorrhoids by fastening horse leeches to them. <laughs> How bad does it have to be for you to be willing to go through that? Here, here's my asshole. <laughs> Let's put some leeches on there. Uh, and also last cupping, but not like the way that, well, I guess similar to Yeah, it has not changed all that much. But they would heat these up. Heated cupping glasses to skin to draw humors to the area. This whole uh, pressurized cupping is new just within the last few years. Like when it first started, like the whole Gwyneth Paltrow showed up on that red carpet with like the circles on her back it was the heated method oh was back it then. yeah yeah because i've had it done yeah and like my whole back was the color of your pants yeah like dan says like it looked like he had beat me right but just like in my upper back yeah it hurt but like man did it help. work yeah it really worked my rmt is like i can try it on you and like i'm all set up for it i'm like you get that shit away from me <laughs> it does hurt like a son of a bitch but honestly if you have a knot that just like won't release won't release or you know you have that same knot that comes back like no matter like you could go to a, from good yeah. massage every two days and it's still I, I would call be it there. my perma knot i can point it out to you exactly where it is on my right you should try blade. it on that and just see because it, it does help give you longer mm. like it helps release it for longer before it maybe i'll tightens back up maybe i'll try it it doesn't hurt it's like my last one so the first few times i did it they just sort of like would put it on the spot tighten it up and leave it for a little bit mm-hmm. the last one the reason i was bruce about she was like did that but then she like was moving it around <laughs> fire in the skin my friend yeah fire in the skin so that's basically what i wanted to tell you mostly i probably would have uh it's a little hard to read in old English. So I will link to the case files. They all have it digitized. And uh, some of them, like, I, I read some of them, but they were really, like, not very descriptive. But then they have some spots where they have more descriptions from what they sort of conferred. Or I guess not conferred, inferred. That's the the historian's joy when you're going through databases like or documents like that. And it's just, like, one or two lines. And then you hit the real juicy one. And you're like, yes, I can hang an entire chapter off this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Busted slit pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> That's what made me do this story. So, sorry. It would have been a little bit better had I been able to read it a bit better. But <laughs> it is what it is. But yes, so it goes together. Old timey fucking. You've been swearing a lot this episode, I would I'm just like sorry. to say. 
You need to be like, I can go back and do it. I now have like a list running for Algonquin where I say like timestamp the swears so they have an easier time finding them. (laughs) I have to say, even in the last one, they were more yours than mine. (laughs) Because you are more conscious about it and I'm not. I know. (laughs) Nice thing that these these topics go together. Yes. Crazy, medical. Yeah. Old timey. Doesn't actually work. Hokum. Hokum, please. We do not condone you killing some pigeons. Any of this. Don't do any of this. Even if you happen to find an already dead pigeon, don't mess with it. Yeah. It's got all kinds of yuck on it. Yeah. Don't (laughs) mutilate dead bodies, people. Don't eat fermented cabbage that's been sitting for a couple of days. Go see an actual doctor. Yes. We are not doctors. These guys were not doctors, no Mm -hmm. matter what they called themselves. Oh, hell no. In seven years, I will not be an actual doctor. I will be a dilettante doctor. Yeah. (laughs) You'll be a doctor of theology. Yes. Philosophy. Philosophy. Yes. Doesn't matter, because I can't save a life, so no one but my mom is going to (laughs) care. As Christine says. (laughs) You will be a PhD as opposed to an MD. Yes. Equally as long commitment, but that's my bad. Oh, but, I think it's awesome. But that's our show for this week. If you would like to find out more about the show, head over to our website, www.rabbitholespodcast.com. On that site, you'll find our merch tab, which directs you to our Redbubble store where you can pick up some gear to rep us out in the big bad world. We also have our support tab, which links you to our Patreon page where you can go and throw some money at us to keep us hustling with this hobby. Uh, our email address is rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Let us know about rabbit holes that you enjoy and want to fall down or that you would like us to fall down for you. And we'll see if we can't put together a story for you. And just a reminder that the Ottawa Podcast Festival is happening on August 24th. Yes. Today, the day that we're recording, we got to announce our location, which is the Live on Elgin It's where a lot of great bands come and play and a bunch of other kind of performing acts right downtown. Great location, close to bus, close to food, close to the nightlife on Elgin. So definitely come out and see us. The website for the festival is www.ottawapodcastfestival.com. Please don't make me waste my summer and make this a good event. (laughs) Yes. We will be conning all of our friends and family into buying tickets. It's not conning, it's browbeating. <laughs> it's true. Because it's going to be awesome. So yes, uh, if you are a friend and family member, then expect to get an email or a Facebook invite. You know what? Just, just take a photo on your phone of like the ticket that you bought and then just send that to us. And yeah. it means we won't be bothering you. <laughs> you don't have to get me anything for my birthday <laughs> if you buy a ticket. And come. Yes. It'd be great. We're up to 21, 22 shows in the Ottawa area that want a spot in the festival. That's good. So there's a big community And I have to get you that list of headliners. Yes, you I think there's really one that I'm going to strongly suggest. Awesome. Yeah. So the next big announcement might be about that. So who's going to headline our show for us? So stay tuned. Do check out our website for that information. And uh, yeah, what's that on that? You can reach us on the social media on Twitter, we are at Rabbit Holes Pod. Yes. On Facebook, we are Rabbit Holes Podcast page. At Instagram, we are Rabbit Holes Podcast. If you like what we're doing, you can go and give us a rating or a review. You can recommend us on Facebook. Uh, we really appreciate all of your amazing uh, support. 
So thank you so much. You can also just tell your friends and family and colleagues all about it. So I've already been chatting us up at my new job. Which, brave. Which Bold might move. be brave. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> so that's it for this week. And there's only one last thing to do. And that's to remind you that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.